very common for us to look up into the sky and think of God being very far away because we know that the uh, heavens are beyond our understanding of how far away it is, and yet we forget that our God is the I Am, and He is uh, constantly revealing Himself to us. He communicated Himself uh, through the Lord Jesus, the Word, as we looked at, uh, through the virgin birth. Last week we studied that, and today we're going to look at the I Am, the perfect ruler. And so today we're looking at a very important perspective on the matter of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We, looking for God to do a mighty work, often quote Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Well, uh, the heavens have come down. And uh, for every believer, as the song says, heaven has come down and glory has filled our soul. And we need to not allow Satan to give us this concept of a distant God that uh, just is managing things but does not have a personal relationship with us. And so all the names of God that spring out of just that first real manifestation of himself to Moses, the I Am, Jehovah God, uh, they all speak to a God that desires a, a, a personal and real relationship with us. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, one of the great prophecies about the Lord Jesus, His coming and His incarnation. I love Handel's Messiah, and near the beginning of Handel's Messiah is the great chorus, for unto us a child is born. Magnificent chorus. And uh, at the very end, uh, almost at the very end of the Messiah is worthy is the Lamb. And so you have this one that has come and then what his work was all wrapped up in the great Messiah, uh, Handel's Messiah. But for unto us a child is born. That's where we want to focus tonight, what a, or this morning. What a tremendous prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. As I mentioned as we looked at uh, Isaiah 7.14, I mentioned that this prophecy was written seven centuries before Christ. Folks, that's a long time. That, uh, it's uh, hard for us to even uh, conceive of that. You're going back to the 1300s A.D. if you were to go back 700 years from right now. And uh, so that shows you what uh, an enormous distance and yet the perfect fulfillment of the prophets, prophets' declarations are always such an encouragement. And so we want to look at this wonderful uh, prophecy here of the Lord Jesus. Let's begin with verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and peace shall be no end. Uh, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with just judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The very heart of God is in this great coming of 
the second person of the Trinity through the incarnation into our world. God with us. And we talked much about that, the virgin birth. Christ had a human birth. It was very real. He was a of the line of Israel. He was of the line of David miraculously. And he was of the line that could rule. Numbers 24, 17 speaks of this. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Genesis 49, 10, uh, Jacob's prophecy as he blessed his children, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And, and uh, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And we see here in verse 6 that this is a genuine child, a human being, the incarnation. We've looked at that. He was truly born. He was the Son of God. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. This refers to the kingly robe to be worn by the Messiah. As the king, he would uh, rule and govern the nation. And you find that over and over in the glorious prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus. We've often quoted in these last few weeks from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 speaking about Bethlehem. But then in the middle of that verse, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Zechariah 14.9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And so <clears throat> Christ has the government upon his shoulders. I love Psalm 2. Uh, as you think, see all the things going on in our world today, the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, and the kings of the earth set themselves and take their counsel against the Lord. Uh, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I a king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath saith unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. King on Zion, the son of God, Jesus Christ. He will rule over his creation and his desire is to rule in our hearts now, as we find in Philippians chapter 2. And it's so good to look at these very important uh, perspectives on Jesus Christ. Uh, at Christmas time, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we often see the beautiful babe and all of the sentimentality that is with that. But this is the King of Heaven that came, and the government will be upon His shoulder and the question for us as we look at the description of this king, is he genuinely king in our lives? pastor recalls that uh, at one of the testimony meetings, a man stood up and he had gone to a uh, conference on spiritual life that was a great blessing. And, uh, and so he was asked to say something about it. He said, well, he said, I can say this. I was a Christian before I came to the conference. Christ was my king. But I'm afraid he was a constitutional sovereign and I was the prime minister. <laughs> now he is the absolute Lord. And that has made all the difference in my life and brought tremendous blessing. And so today, let's see why 
we as believers, this one who came and became one of us, why not only do we need to trust him as Savior, but those of us who have, why we need to bow before him as Lord. We have four of the descriptive names of Jesus given here, emphasizing his rulership. 256 terms are throughout the scripture speaking of Jesus. <laughs> and here are four that look at his rulership uh, in the world and in our lives. So let's go back to this verse, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's look first of all at the Wonderful Counselor. Those terms go together. Wonderful, exceptional, distinguished counselor, uh, that uh, one that everyone gladly wants to listen to. A wonderful counselor combines the idea of doing something wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous <clears throat> with the skill of giving wise advice, making plans, counsel. This suggests that this son's life will somehow exhibit miraculous acts of God employed in the sphere of wise planning or decision-making. Since God is the source of all miraculous events and His plans are the wisest counsel to follow, God will work in and through this Son to demonstrate His extraordinary wisdom to plan wonderful, miraculous things. The Lord Jesus, His teaching was followed by so many who had hungry hearts. His wisdom absolutely shocked even the most learned men of that day. It was very amazing that Nicodemus came to see him. He may have been the most esteemed of all of the leaders and teachers in Israel. Why did he come? Because he knew that this one that he was listening to was a wonderful counselor, uh, one that was uh, absolutely exceptional. And his counsel, his his speaking was the wisdom that could only come from God, and he knew it. Anyone with an open heart understood that. When you think of a wonder, it refers to something out of the ordinary, something unusual and uh, uncommon. And uh, that's exactly what this is speaking of, something that is very, very unusual. So, as the wonderful counselor, he is full of wisdom. Aren't you thankful when we have somebody that's a ruler that's wise? <laughs> um, I won't go very far on that, but um, I think we all can understand how frustrating it is when decisions are made that are clearly not the best thing for the people, for what's important, the, the highest of values and so forth. I mean, we're just, you know, it's very hard. Isn't it going to be wonderful when Jesus rules here on earth in the kingdom, he will have absolutely perfect wisdom. <laughs> Everything his, he says will be right. Every decision that he makes will be just perfect. And uh, the wisdom of God, as Thiessen said, uh, we went over wisdom a while back. Wisdom is the intelligence of God displayed in the choice of highest ends and of the fittest means for the accomplishment of those ends. Oh, to just uh, realize that this babe in the manger, 
is the almighty God. He is the wonderful counselor doing wonders. He's exceptional. Everything he, he touches is because he is divine, and yet he lived a human life dependent upon God the Father and God the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him, but uh, the wonders and the wisdom, that is our Savior. And folks, we need to realize that the display of the wisdom of the wonderful counselor is sitting in this room right now. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like much of a display, but that's God's, that's God's plan. Uh, look at Ephesians 3.10 here. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What's another name for the church when it involves Christ? The body of Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. We are the body of Christ. We should show forth the fact that He is the wonderful counselor. He is a God that does wonders. His body should be one that should show forth the miraculous reality of the Savior. And the wisdom of God should be seen by people that know the Word of God and live the Word of God and show it forth in their lives and show it forth in their families. Folks, one of the things that is so important in any day is for us as God's people in the body of Christ not to, to have the thinking of the world around which is formulated by Satan, the very uh, enemy of the Lord, but that we should stand out by simply following the wisdom of the Son of God that is marvelous, it's wonderful, it is, it is that which will bring the grace of God and the power of God in our lives. People might react to God's blessing and power and wisdom through the church, but they should not be able uh, to ignore it. It's there. <clears throat> There's no doubt. There is something divine about God's people and about God's church. In 1910, a terrible plague swept through eastern Czechoslovakia back in those days. <clears throat> it's called that during the Christmas season, making it doubly hard. It was diphtheria, and it devastated the little Czech village of Velkyslavov. Nearly half of the village contracted this awful infection. And many of the victims were less than 10 years of age. It was just a heartbreaking time. When there were symptoms in a house, a big black X was painted on the house and they were quarantined. Well, there was an X on the doorpost of Jano and Susanna Bordakava. In little less than a week, the young couple who had three children found themselves childless. Their oldest child, a five-year-old daughter, that was the first to go. And while the Jano was in the woodshed building the coffin for her, the two boys died. Well, it was a horrible time. The awful sobs, the hopelessness. And they took three very nice coffins through the bitter, biting December cold toward the graveyard. Went by a number of houses marked with an X, but they couldn't stop because they were grieving so much they couldn't stop to comfort them. Well, they laid their children in freshly dug graves and struggled through the Lord's Prayer and then trudged back to the home. No one was there to meet them. 
It was quarantined. It was dangerous. It was a frightening, dark little tomb. Little high-heeled brown shoes, uh, leather shoes, were lined up still by the wood stove, and the beds were empty. But what was even worse was Jono himself was sick. I won't see another Christmas, he said to his wife. He was wheezing and coughing. I don't think I'll even see New Year. He pushed away the soup and bread for he couldn't swallow it because the diphtheria had tied a noose around his neck, allowing neither food nor air to go through. Well, she was gathering some kindling and was lit the fire for the night, and she was sure that her husband was about to die. And as the snow was starting to fall again, she paused to look through the window, and Psalm 121.1 just came to her heart and mind. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Suddenly, to her shock, someone was approaching, and approaching where they could see the X on the house. It was a peasant woman. She was tramping through the snow, had a red and purple plaid shawl draped over her hunched shoulders. A kerchief was wrapped around her head, and a long skirt was a bright display of cotton and linen uh, patchwork. And in one hand, she held a jar of clear liquid. She approached the house and knocked on the door. Well, Suzanne opened the door very cautiously and said, we've got the plague. In fact, my husband's in a fever right now. The old woman nodded, knowing that that was the case. She, stepped, she said, could I come in? She held out a little jar. She said, take a clean white linen and wrap it around your finger. Dip your finger into this pure kerosene oil and swab out your husband's throat. Then have him swallow a tablespoon of the oil. This should cause him to vomit the deadly mucus. Otherwise, he will suffocate. I will pray for you and your family. And she quietly slipped out. Well, having this folk remedy in her hand, she went and did exactly what the woman told her to do. And it wasn't long before the husband retched up the deadly phlegm. His fever broke, and Susanna entertained a flicker of hope. There were no presents under the tree that year, but an old woman with her joy, jar of oil was a gift. He did recover. And in fact, God was gracious to them. Uh, they left in, 19, in the 1920s, immigrated to America with eight children, a set of triplets and two sets of twins. <laughs> but the beauty of this story is obviously in the care and sacrifice and wisdom of a little peasant woman. But I want us to have a much bigger picture. Jesus was despised. He came in that horrible stable. He was rejected of men. But my friends, he was the wonderful counselor. And he came with the message, the wonderful, glorious message of the only hope in a dying, dark world. That's why Christmas is so glorious. He gave the wisdom of salvation through himself and his sacrifice and all the wisdom that we have here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he is the wonderful counselor. My friends, the world is dark. Aren't you glad that Jesus has come with the wisdom that we need? He's able to meet every need. Romans 15, 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout until Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
Jesus showed his, uh, the power of God on this earth, and then with the indwelling Spirit of God, as I said, the body of Christ should show forth the wisdom and the wonder of, uh, of a God who has all wisdom and all truth and where all deliverance comes. There is deliverance no other direction but from Jesus himself. Well, secondly, he is the mighty God. We have been going over this. He is deity. Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. My friends, Jesus Christ is God Almighty. As we have looked at, He is the Creator, He is the Word, He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. The great ancient hymn is recorded by inspiration in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached of the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. All that was seen when, Mo, uh, when Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there, and all of a sudden Jesus was transfigured, and they saw some of the glory of, of the Savior being God. And that was just a foreshadowing of what we could see right now if we were to look into heaven. And we get a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 1. We see that Revelation chapter 19, the mighty person of Jesus Christ in His splendor and His glory. He is God. And all we see that as to His birth. His birth was contrary to the laws of life. His death was contrary to the laws of death. He had no cornfields or fisheries, but he could spread a table for 5,000 and have bread and fish to spare. He walked on no beautiful carpets or velvet rugs, but he walked on the waters of the Sea of Galilee, and they supported him. Three years he preached his gospel. He wrote no book, built no church house, had no monetary backing. But after 1,900, 2,000 years now, he is the one central character of human history the pivot around which the events of the ages revolve, and the only regenerator of the human race. Was it merely the son of Joseph and Mary who crossed the world's horizon 1,900 years ago? Was it merely human blood that was spilled at Calvary's hill for the redemption of sinners? What thinking man can keep from exclaiming, my Lord and my God? Friends, if we're willing to be honest, we know that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, the Creator God of the heavens. And He's mighty. That's what we have here. The mighty God. He has all power. As in that famous hymn, Mighty fortresses our God, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is He. He is the mighty hand of God. And folks, this is what we need to understand. We are the body of Christ. We have the might of the omnipotent God. 
We are to be the very fullness of God. And in our lives, the grace of God that comes because the Spirit of God indwells us because of what Christ did. Humble yourselves, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. God is able to show His might and His power. Folks, let's don't just have sentimentality here at Christmas time. Man, I'm telling you, every time you think of Christ coming to this earth, you need to shout glory. This is, this is the wonderful counselor. This is the mighty God. Thirdly, the everlasting Father. The title everlasting Father is an idiom used to describe the Messiah's relationship to time, not his relationship to other members of the Trinity. We have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is speaking of his character. He is said to be everlasting just as God, the Father, is called the Ancient of Days. The Messiah will be a fatherly ruler. And so uh, it's interesting here. This characteristic is given to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Now, we've covered this much. He is eternal, but let me just touch on this. Uh, that's part of being the everlasting Father. Uh, Daniel 7, 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And then Micah 5, 2 that I've already talked about, about him being a ruler in Israel, the last part of that is, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. C.H. Spurgeon said, Jesus is not the child of eternity, but the father of it. Eternity did not bring him forth from its mighty bowels, but he brought forth eternity. So, uh, he is the everlasting one, and he is fatherly. <laughs> Aren't you thankful? Uh, it's speaking of the kindness, the care, the relationship of a father. Of course, you have the heavenly Father, but Jesus has the same characteristics, three in one. And so, He has the characteristics of His heavenly Father. Uh, he is a ruler who wants the best for His children. And folks, one of the things that, that I probably get burdened about more than anything is how many times good Christians have a wrong concept of God. Yes, He's just. Yes, He's holy. Those are glorious things. We can depend upon that. But we see it as negative because of negative patterns in the past, wrong fatherly perspectives, uh, uh, terrible things that may have happened in the past. And there is a concept of God with a big stick ready to, to uh, get us if we do anything wrong. Well, obviously God chastens, but he, whatever He does, He doesn't do it in judgment. He does it for our good. He is a good father. What father is there that won't discipline their children? Everything that, the, that the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit does is for our welfare. Friends, never, never, never does God do anything that's, that's ill for you. There is nothing that He does that would hurt you. Everything He does is for your welfare. But you've got to believe that. And honestly, many, many, many Christians don't believe that. And that is Satan's trap that gets you into a wrong spirit and into bitterness against God. Remember, when you react 
to what people do to you and get bitter and blame them and do not allow God to work in your heart, that bitterness really is inevitably a bitterness against God because He didn't control that, He didn't solve that, and therefore God's allowing things that are hurtful for me and uh, therefore I can't trust God. Now, every person here has had a little bit of that thinking. But you've got to be very careful about that. Uh, God will use all things for good. But you're going to injure God's working in your life if you continue to blame and do not have blessing in your life because you are bitter with someone else. Jesus Christ is the everlasting, the God of eternity, and He's everlastingly fatherly like His heavenly Father. And um, He wants the best for us, and we need to believe that. That's why He's the perfect ruler. And then finally, the Prince of Peace. We see here, uh, He, as uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson put it, God the Son is called the Prince of Peace. He came into the world with a song of peace. On, on earth peace, goodwill. He went out of the world with a legacy of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Christ's earnest prayer was for peace. He prayed that, that his people might be one. And so we are at peace with God through the justification of Jesus Christ, and we can have the peace of God in our hearts and our lives. And so in conclusion here, he's going to be providing peace for Israel and the kingdom with all that Israel's gone through uh, during the millennial reign. He will be the perfect ruler and there will be peace. Micah 4.3, and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore." picture of the lion and the lamb laying next to each other. Oh, what a blessing. And that's the heart that God, uh, that Jesus has for us. There'll be ultimate peace in heaven. Uh, you have that beautiful picture of heaven in Revelation 21.3, speaking of God shall wipe away all tears. But let me just finish with, he provides divine peace for us now. Friends, the one who has provided peace with God, if you're a believer and have trusted in Him for salvation, the peace of God should rule, as Colossians 3 said, should rule in your hearts and lives. The mark of your life ought to be the fact that you have the fruit of the Spirit, peace in your heart. We should show the world the reality of our God. Charles Spurgeon said, do you know what it is when you're tossed on the waves to go down into the depths of Godhead, there rejoicing that not a wave of trouble ruffles your spirit, but that you are serenely at home with God, your own almighty Father. God will give us peace. And all the wonderful illustrations of martyrs who stood the test and showed in their face and even one time a martyr challenged the sheriff to just feel his heart and see that it wasn't beating fast. That there's a peace that passeth all understanding. And my friends, so often with the anxiety and the worries and the lack of trust in the Lord, the lack of being surrendered to Him, the guilt in our lives as believers, uh, the Prince of Peace is not able to show himself to be strong. But that peace of God will be in our lives, as Philippians 4 says. 
My friends, who's the babe in the manger? For unto us a child is born. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And He is the Prince of Peace. What a Savior. Oh, my friends, it ought to cause us to bow before Him. Several times in these last few days as I've thought on these things, I've physically just had to bow before Him and think of the great majesty of my God. What a plan. What a Savior. But we need to let Him be the perfect ruler in our lives. Let's bow for prayer.